Alabama Annie with another edition of Stories and Songs. And today we're going to hear a tale called The Body in the Coal Shed. Ruthie Miller was a very old woman when she spilled the beans about what happened when she and her mother ran a boarding house during the 1920s in a cotton mill village. You know, back then, there were cotton mills all over this country, and they were big business owned by wealthy investors from back east who sometimes built entire little towns around their mills, complete with houses for the workers to live in, apothecaries and dry goods stores, churches and schools, and sometimes even parks and skating rinks. The Dwight Mill Village, just outside the thriving little town of Gadsden, Alabama, was a good example. Now, this boarding house that Ruthie Miller and her mother went to work for was not built by those investors. It was independently owned. It housed railroad workers, men from the steel industry, and folks who worked at the cotton mill. And it also housed some mystery and a little intrigue, a disappearance, and a disturbing discovery in the coal shed. Let's listen as Ruthie tells us her tale. The Body in the Coal Shed My name is Ruthie Miller and I've lived all my life right here in Alabama City near the old cotton mill. The house has been my home since I was 11 years old. That was the year Daddy got killed at the steel mill And after he died, Mama took a job here at the boarding house working for Bill and Sarah Hall. We moved into what they call the little house out back here and set us up a nice place. It was warmer than the row houses where we lived on Railroad Street, where the tracks were so close to the house you could almost reach out and touch the boxcars. It had a good wood stove to cook on and stay warm with, and a little yard out back with an apple tree and the coal shed. We helped the Halls run the place, and everything went along fine. That is, until that bad day when I found Mr. Bill that spring after they both disappeared. No, they could never prove Miss Sarah killed him and left his body out there, but I know she took his life sure as I'm telling you this. Sarah and Bill Hall moved up to Alabama City from Texas after Bill retired from the railroad just about the time the Dwight Cotton Mill opened and Gulf State Steel was going strong. Not to mention, the railroad had built a big switchyard over at the foot of the mountain and there was plenty work to go around. Most of the houses were full, so renters weren't hard to find. This big old place had plenty of room and soon the place was full. We served up three squares a day out of the kitchen. There'd be biscuits and fried chicken, brown gravy, mashed potatoes, or sausage and eggs served with hot black coffee. Now Sarah and Mama took care of the cooking in the house, and Bill took care of the outdoor work and the repairs, and I just helped them all. I did whatever they needed me to do. Being a big healthy girl back then, I could carry heavy laundry baskets up and down the stairs or bring wood in for the stove with no problem. It didn't bother me a bit to work outside, so I'd help Bill with the outdoor chores when he needed me. He'd tell me stories while we worked and had a way of making things fun. He always wore what he called his lucky shirt. It was an old plaid thing that kept him warm and dry, even though it had holes in it and the collar needed sewing. 
But Bill and Sarah got to fighting. Looking back on things, I do believe Miss Sarah might have been serving up a little something extra on the side when she could, if you know what I mean, and he'd caught her. I remember him shouting words like floozy and whore at her, and Sarah calling him a lying bastard right back. And I know Bill ran more than a couple of them railroad boys off from here. We could hear them from our house out back most nights, arguing and carrying on. And come the next morning, there'd be pieces of broken china swept up outside the back door in a pile, and Bill might disappear for a couple days. He had a way of doing that after they'd had a fight. He'd like us not hop a train and ride for a few days or go off up the holler with his moonshining buddies. But one fall day, he asked me to help him shovel out the coal house, which was just about empty. I went out to help him. We filled all the buckets for the house and raked the old coal over to make room for the new. He was quiet that afternoon as we worked. He didn't smile and joke the way he usually did, and I could tell he had troubles on his mind. That was the last time I ever saw him. When we were done, I'd tossed my shovel off to one side and went in to wash up for dinner. That night, Sarah and Bill had their last big fight, and it was a doozy. We heard it from the summer house. He was shouting that he was going to leave her for good, and she was crying and carrying on and breaking things. That night as I lay in bed, I could swear I heard someone shoveling coal out back in the shed, but I thought it must have been the neighbors. The next morning, when Mama and I got to the kitchen, things were real quiet, and Sarah was there with the black eye hovering over the stove, and Bill was nowhere to be found. Several days went by, but Bill didn't show up. Nobody asked where he was, figuring he'd come back sooner or later. But out in the yard that day when I was hanging out the wash, I stumbled over something in the overgrown flower bed. It was the coal shovel, just thrown down in the tall grass where it shouldn't have been. I picked it up and propped it beside the coal shed. After a few days, we began to think that Bill had really left this time for good, and Sarah didn't seem to want to talk about it. Then one morning, out of the blue, she announced to us that Bill had decided to go back to work on the Santa Fe Railroad. She said he'd headed out west and made a big show of packing his bags and having me help her carry them off to the train depot. Then she went on like nothing was wrong, serving up breakfast, lunch, and dinner each day and acting more like herself. If anyone asked if she'd heard from Bill, she had a pat answer. Oh, I got a letter from him the other day. He said he's doing fine and working hard, but I knew there'd been no letters because every couple of days it was my job to go for the mail at the post office. Unless that letter had come special delivery while I was at school, she was lying like a bug in a rug. One day, though, a letter did come from Florida. The envelope wasn't quite sealed. I shouldn't have done it, but I stopped in the alleyway and opened it. The letter was from Bill's family in Texas. It read, Dear Sarah, we hope you're doing well and that everything is fine. We were a little concerned we hadn't heard from you lately and haven't had a word from Bill either. Where did you say he was? Did you say Santa Fe? We have a friend out there who used to work with him, but he hasn't seen him. He said it could be they've just missed each other in passing. So please keep us informed. Sincerely. 
I sealed the letter back best as I could and laid it with the rest of the mail in the kitchen. But I think she noticed the envelope had been opened, and she eyed me suspiciously. She'd open and unfold the letter. She read it twice, then folded it again, and I noticed that her hands were shaking the whole time. She burned that letter. I saw the singed edges of that envelope the next morning in the stove when I brought in some of the new coal for the fire. Sarah was different after that. She seemed jumpy and would snap at us at the drop of a pin. But it was on Christmas morning, 1920, when Sarah spoke with Mama as they were making breakfast, announcing that she and Bill had decided to sell the boarding house. She offered it to Mama, lock, stock, and barrel. Mama took her up on the offer, and they shook hands. Mama went to the bank the very next day and paid Sarah with the death money from the steel mill. By New Year's Day 1921, the boarding house was ours, and with everything settled, Sarah announced that she was leaving to join Bill out west. We saw her off at the station in early January on a train for New Orleans, and that was the last time we ever saw her. We moved into the big boarding house, celebrating our new home with a chocolate cake for dessert that night, and after a time, all the talk and speculation about Bill and Sarah died down, and things got back to normal, minus the fighting. It was early spring, just as the days were warming and the daffodils were sticking their heads out of the snow, that I was shoveling out the last of the old coal to make room for a delivery of new coal when I found Bill. My shovel struck something. A bony arm and hand appeared with a rag of plaid hanging off. I backed away from it and stared at that sleeve. It was the sleeve of Bill's lucky shirt. I dropped the shovel and ran for the house, and soon the police came. They uncovered the rest of Bill and took his body away, asking everyone at the boarding house all kinds of questions about the halls. Everybody knew they'd fought a lot, but they asked what the fighting could have been about and where Sarah might have gone. So I told the detective all about that last big fight they'd had and how Bill was gone the next day. I told him about the letter that had come from Bill's family in Texas and how I'd found it burned in the stove and how Sarah said she was going to join Bill out west and that we'd seen her off on the train. It was a mystery, one of those things that might never be solved, like the body of that Union soldier that them boys found off on the side of Lookout Mountain or the story of a witch who lived on the old river road. In late March, they sent Bill's body home to Texas in a new pine box, and we heard that they looked for Sarah everywhere, but they never did find her. Time passed, and things got back to normal. Mama and me, we just went on with our lives, running the place. After Mama died in the winter of 35, why, I just stayed on. I kept a few renters until the mill closed and the trains didn't run no more. You know, I have to wonder how Ruthie felt when she found Bill's body in the coal shed that day. Yeah, it answered the question as to what had happened to him, but it also brought to light the fact that she and her mother had been living with a murderess. Now, I didn't write the song you're going to hear today. It's one of my favorites by the legendary Skip James. 
but this is a recording I made of it a while back, and it's very fitting for this tale. It's called Cypress Grove. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode, The Body in the Coal Shed, and the song, Cypress Grove, written by the legendary Skip James. So until next time, it's Alabama Annie wishing you a great week. 
Stories and Songs is brought to you by Chass Music, bringing you the best in live entertainment for your festivals, venues, and private events. Santa Cruz, California. <laughs>